0: I want you to open a Bible with me to the first chapter of John's Gospel. We begin a new sermon series this morning in John chapter 1, where we see the person and ministry of Jesus. It, it exceeds even the expectations of God's people, those waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. Jesus meets our deepest needs. Now, last Christmas, we looked at the, the familiar opening words of John's gospel, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We saw the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We heard the announcement of John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now the followers of John meet the one whom John announced, Jesus the Messiah, I'm going to read in the Gospel, in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. So John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called to you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Let me pray for us this morning. God in heaven, I ask that you would give us clarity as we listen to your word, that we would see the announcement, the arrival of Jesus, our Messiah. Father, for those of us who who need comfort, I pray that we would find it in the truth of who Jesus reveals himself to be. Lord, for those who have questions that have wandered in today, perhaps at the invitation of a friend that have come, Looking for answers, I pray that they would find your word to be true, that they would find you to be the God who can be trusted for you, love us, and you meet our deepest needs. Father, let us give attention to your word. May your spirit change our hearts, that where we are in error, we would be corrected. Where we, were, where we are in sin, we would turn from sin, that we would repent, confess our sin. Father, show us the forgiveness that comes to us through Jesus our Savior. Amen. How did you first hear about Jesus? Now, I've heard some of you share the extraordinary ways in which you first heard about Jesus. You went with fellow university students to a stadium and heard Billy Graham preach the gospel. You picked up a paper tract blowing across the street, a little brochure, not even one handed to you, one that you found, and you read in that the words of gospel hope. You had a team member, or or a team from the church, from this church, show up at your house after you visited a worship service and tell you about the love of God. You had a stranger share the gospel with you on a ski lift you made the mistake of asking hey where are you from tell me about yourself and they told you about Jesus some of you have heard the gospel you first heard about Jesus in extraordinary ways but many of you heard in what feels like an ordinary way you heard it from a friend or a family member Some of us were preserved from wayward wanderings by the grace of God, and we heard the gospel when we were little children. Some of you had a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor that you knew, tell you about what was most important to him or her. Because the most common and effective testimony in the history of the church, as one commentator points out, is the private witness of friend to friend, brother, To brother. The sharing of the gospel is the natural impulse of the follower of Jesus. Most people won't be transformed by the the power of the gospel by hearing it from a professional Christian, a, a, a paid minister who stands and preaches in the pulpit. We do anticipate that that happens when you bring a friend, but the ordinary the regular, the miraculous pattern of God's work in the church is from friend to friend, brother to brother. In this passage, we meet at least four disciples, at least four whom are named. I mean, there are two at the beginning, and it's unclear if one of those remains unnamed through the, the whole passage. But we meet four men by name. Andrew shares the good news with his brother, Simon Peter. Philip shares the good news with his friend, Nathaniel, And in their faith, we find the truth about Jesus' identity. In their descriptions of what they have found, we find hope for ourselves today. Because we began, and look back at verses 35 and 36, with John, the one who is baptizing, the, the man who as a a relative of Jesus, was sent by God as the last of the, the Old Covenant prophets to announce the arrival of the Messiah, to tell people now, right now, today is the day that you need to repent because the King is coming. The Messiah is here. And so we hear it again, the words which have already been given to us in John 1. We hear it again in verse 36, the announcement of the prophet when he sees Jesus walking by, behold, the Lamb of God, And so verse 37 tells us that the two disciples, these are disciples of John, actually listened to the message of John when he was saying, you're, you're not meant to follow me, you're, you're meant to be here to come and to await the arrival of the Messiah. And so the two disciples, verse 37, heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now the, the picture is given to us of Jesus physically walking by the announcement and then these two walk on with him. They follow after him. But that's a picture that is given to us in each of the Gospels of what it means to be a disciple. It's one who follows Christ. For these disciples, it meant to literally walk alongside him. For us, it means to orient our lives to walk through life following Jesus and his purposes. And then in verse 38, we have the very first words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. Look at Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? The the first words of Jesus are a question, an invitation, not a a command. We'll see him offer commands when he speaks to Philip and he tells him to follow me. But here, it's an important question, one that's necessary for each of us as readers of this gospel to be able to answer. What are you looking for? What are you trying to find? It's an enormous question. Now, Jesus is is gentle in in that these two men aren't willing yet to bear their hearts, and so they they just kind of throw a simple response at him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Like, wh- where are you going right now? But but the question is a big question it's the first words of jesus and it's one that that really will hang over this gospel what are you looking for what are you trying to find because john's gospel will challenge us with the question how does jesus fulfill your expectations how can jesus even exceed the expectations that you brought to him how does jesus contradict what you assumed would be true about him what are you looking for I mean, many of us today, we're, we're looking for some sense of control, some sense that, that we have things enough together, because we, we're not only unsettled by bad news, we're unsettled by good news when it's unexpected. The, the world feels unsteady beneath our feet, and what are we looking for? Jesus, I, I, want, I want some sense of control in my life. And yet we know that, that trying to grab that for ourselves leaves us either anxious that we never get it or, or crazy always chasing after it and and yet jesus is the one to whom we can turn he's the one in total control he will walk from from this calling of the first disciples this gospel will lead us very quickly to jesus's purpose in coming you already heard it behold the lamb of god he came to give his life for us the savior who is in complete control uses his power and authority to serve and love others. So what are you seeking? And, and then look at the, the response. After Jesus invites them to come, they spend the day with him. and we're there, It's there about the 10th hour, and remember, you're, you're counting not, not by the dials on your clock, you're counting the hours from the rise of the sun, so we're late in the afternoon at this point. Perhaps t- too late for them to, to do much else, but they've spent most of the day with Jesus. And, and, and then Andrew, who we're told when we first meet him is Simon Peter's brother, because even by the time you're reading this gospel, you already know Peter's name. So Andrew is referred to, even though we meet him first, he's connected to his, his brother. And then look at verse 41. He first... Let me, there, just, just that reminder. The first thing he does, verse 41, he first found his own brother, Simon. See, meeting Jesus creates an urgency to share the hope which you have found. Meeting Jesus should change the way that you live your life. Yes, the the sign above the the door or or the idea that we might present to you is come to church as you are. But after you meet Jesus, you shouldn't leave as you were. Meeting Jesus should change you. Should create an urgency. The motive for evangelism is not mere duty. It's not that, oh, that's right, that's like on the list of things I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Yes, it is on the list of things you're supposed to do as a Christian. But you don't do it out of mere obligation. Your motive for evangelism is your love for Jesus. You see who he is, your compassion for those who need to meet him. Because what, is, what does Andrew say to his brother? Look again at verse 41 We have found the Messiah. It's given to us as a there a, a transliteration like in Greek in Greek letters they, they make the sounds of the Hebrew word messiah, which so, so John, making sure those of us who don't speak Hebrew understand what he's saying. this means Christ. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. If you wanted to introduce him, you'll find out later you would introduce him as Jesus. Of Nazareth or Jesus son of Joseph those are the ordinary ways you would introduce him to call him the Christ is to give him a a divine designation a a promised coming of the king and we ordinarily think of the word messiah if you've been in church long enough as as one who has been anointed we think of it solely in terms of Jesus the king arriving which is absolutely true in this passage but but the word messiah is is meant to be a a a parallel to the the announcement we've already heard. Because back in verse 36, John the Baptist told us that that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And so to be called the Messiah is is a reminder that his ministry is, is even bigger than being a king. Because in the Old Testament, yes, you would anoint a king, but you would also anoint a priest. And Jesus comes as the perfect high priest, the Lamb himself, the sacrifice for us. Jesus comes announcing the truth of God's word, his promises. Jesus is the prophet. He is God's Messiah, our anointed king, our anointed priest, our anointed prophet. See, once once Andrew understands this, even once Andrew just begins to get a a glimmer of what this means, he's, he's motivated and excited to go find his brother And share the good news. And then we see this pattern repeat itself. Because look at verse 43. We we go now to the next day. Jesus decides to leave where he is down near the the river Jordan and go up into Galilee to to travel back north to Galilee. Verse 43 tells us, He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. The, The first disciples that had followed Jesus did so at the announcement of John behold the Lamb of God. And so they followed, really kind of anticipating the arrival of Jesus the Messiah. Philip follows at the command of Jesus. Now, he is from Galilee. He's from the same town of Andrew and Peter. And then then notice, though, again, what, what happens. As soon as Philip follows, Philip goes to tell someone else. The the, the word is not given to us like it was in verse 41, that the first thing he did, but, it, but the immediacy of the action in verse 45 shows us the importance of sharing the gospel. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have found him. The one we've been waiting for the one that Moses told us was coming, the one, the one whom all of the prophets announced is here. He's the, the Messiah, the, the promised one of God. He has come. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the son of Joseph. Now, Jesus of Nazareth, that's the ordinary way that you would describe him. That's his name and the town that he was from. To us, Nazareth is known, well, we know it because of Jesus. Now, the problem is, Nathanael doesn't have such a high view of Nazareth. And Nathanael, we'll find out later in the gospel, in chapter 21, we're told that he's from Cana, another town near Nazareth, a, a town that we'll, we'll enter into in, in next week's sermon as we move to chapter 2. So it's, it's not that, that Nathanael is suspicious of Nazareth because he's from Judea, that he's from near Jerusalem, that he's there at the heartbeat of, of God's community, because in, the, in, in this era, people from Judea looked down on Galilee. It wasn't as pure, it wasn't as good of a place. But even having grown up just miles away in Cana, he looks down on Nazareth? He, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, in here, we, we see the, the humiliation of Jesus, his willing humility on our behalf. Where was he born? Now, the kids in our junior church class, they could tell you where was Jesus born. He's from Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, while it's a tiny little town, it at least would, would, would bring up some, some national pride in you. That's a royal city. That's the town of David. Jesus of Bethlehem? I can get behind that. That's not as embarrassing as Jesus of Nazareth. But remember, he was only born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecies. He didn't live in Bethlehem. And so, yes, you could say Jesus, you know, hometown, Bethlehem. But where does he live now? Nazareth. Nazareth? Can anything good him out of Nazareth see even in Galilee Nazareth was an unimportant place and yet Jesus willingly identifies with the unimportant which is good for us because it doesn't matter where you'd put your finger on a map it doesn't matter how great the place you grew up in is it's here on this planet, a world broken by our sin, can anything good come from here? And yet Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, willingly, willingly came down, humbled himself, and was born here for us. So Nathaniel begins. His immediate response to Philip is, is one of skepticism. Nazareth? Can anything good? come from nazareth but when jesus sees nathaniel look at verse 47 coming toward him jesus says behold an israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit now there are times that jesus speaks in in almost riddle form to to try and 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 confuse his listeners to to challenge their their assumptions but but i don't think he's he's trying to be be enigmatic or 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 to or to to confuse us here it, it might mean that he's using the language of the Psalms, like Psalm 32, the man who comes with, with no deceit before God, cleans hand and a pure heart. And so there's something that he sees in, in Nathaniel's arrival, in Nathaniel's own heart. It could be that, that, that particularly as you, as you jump to the, the last verse of this chapter and, and the ascending and descending, the, the idea of, of a ladder going up and down, and you think of, oh, Jacob and his dream. Oh. Jacob, the one who deceived his father for his brother's share of the family inheritance. Jacob then the one whose name was changed to Israel. So he calls Nathanael a true Israelite, one in whom there is no deceit. And it might be that that Jesus expects us to to understand all of that context. He's speaking to a man who would have been steeped in the scriptures, Nathanael. But it's clear that that, that part of what he's pointing out is Nathanael's willingness to come and find the truth. It's not because Nathanael was predisposed to believe that Jesus was really the answer. No, what was his first response in hearing from his friend Philip? You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Nazareth? I mean, like, at least it made it someplace good. Like, if you're going to make up this nonsense about our hopes finally being fulfilled, Pick a better starting point for your story. And so while, while Nathaniel begins with a skeptic's heart, he is genuinely willing to find the truth. And I think that's a helpful example for us. In our skeptical culture, maybe you, maybe you hold on to all kinds of questions. But some of us hold on to our questions so tightly that we are unwilling to actually look for answers. Because as long as I have a question, I don't ever have to deal with the answer. I, I can use the question then to just brush aside any more meaningful conversation. Oh, you want to talk about the meaning of life? You want to talk about what I'm looking for? It, you know, who could possibly ever know the answers to those questions? And so we shrug it off without looking for answers. We use our agnosticism, our, our the, the idea that you could never know, that knowledge is, is hard to attain or, or even impossible to attain to keep us from really wrestling with the truth. But that, that's not really Skepticism. I mean, ultimately, that's a nihilism. That's a a question that says knowledge is impossible. And that's not a way you can actually walk through life and have any meaningful relationships. See, Nathaniel is a, a picture for us of what it is to have real questions, real doubts, and yet really go looking for answers. As a church, we're... We're not concerned that you have questions that we haven't answered yet, or that you've come in here maybe first investigating the truth of Christianity, and you think, well, I th- you know, I th- I, I don't want to act like somebody who who knows it all already, so I just won't ask. No, bring whatever questions you have. But parents, when your kids ask big questions, don't panic, because without answers to those big questions, they'll they'll stop asking, and they'll walk away without answers. See, the, the, no matter how big the question that, that's gnawing away at you, you, you shouldn't fear the question. Seek an answer because in Jesus we can find the truth. And so Nathaniel already realizes something, something is happening here. Jesus knows something about him. Jesus knows about his heart, his attitudes. And so he asks in verse 48, Nathanael said to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree I saw you Now again we don't know exactly what this scenario was is that where he was when when Philip saw him and so Jesus supernaturally could see what was taking place or is that the place he was even before Philip so that there's no way even Philip could have gotten to Jesus first and given Jesus this information but but whatever whatever the scenario is exactly Nathaniel understands Jesus has more information about what's happening here than he could possibly know in an ordinary way. That something supernatural is happening here. And so so Jesus, telling Philip he knows who he is, that he's seen him, Jesus telling him that he understands his heart, his desires, prompts then a response, a confession of faith, Right here in in the first chapter of John's gospel, a clear confession of faith from Nathanael. Look at verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I mean, Nathanael's confession of faith says more than he can even yet understand. That he is the true son of God the promised king who has arrived. Now, Nathaniel doesn't understand the full implications of what that will mean, but he anticipates the very reason for which this gospel was written. At the end of John's gospel in chapter 20, John explains the very purpose for which this whole book was written. He says in, in John 20, verse 31, all, all of this was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you, may have life in his name. The confession of, of Nathaniel is meant to be the confession of the church. And, and Nathaniel is, is surprised because Jesus saw him under a fig tree. Jesus knows something about his heart. But Jesus says, if that's, if that's miraculous, then wait until you see what's coming. Wait until you see all, all that will be done, the greater things you will see than these. And then Jesus uses a phrase that he, that he repeats throughout this gospel. Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen, I say to you, listen now to what's coming. You will see heaven itself opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And again, Jesus is using the, the biblical language of the prophets, perhaps looking back to, to the time of, of Jacob. His wrestling with God and seeing heaven opened and, and angels ascending and descending. But, it, but it's surely a picture of the authority that Jesus has. That he is the son of God. The one who has opened heaven and will open heaven so that you and I have a way to get to God himself. Jesus is the king of Israel. He is the son of man. He is the anticipated arrival of the, the, the one whom the prophets, of whom the prophets spoke. I mean, this, this phrase, that heaven will be opened, shows us the power, authority, and dominion of Jesus. It captures what we will see unfold in this gospel, in the death of Jesus, the king dying in the place of his people. It, it, it points us to the hope we have in the resurrection, and even into Jesus' ascension. his going up into heaven as the king. And perhaps it's a useful reminder to us today, Because today is Ascension Sunday on the liturgical calendar. The reminder that Jesus himself reigns now as our king. And so we can come back to the question that Jesus asked when these disciples first began to follow him. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Because it's a question that Jesus will ask two more times in this gospel. A question that he will repeat in chapter 18 he will ask the question of the soldiers who come to arrest him what are you seeking whom are you looking for see the Messiah who invites men and, and women to follow him as disciples knows that he will be betrayed and arrested It's it's also the question that Jesus in, in John chapter 20 asks of Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Mary finds the tomb empty. She meets with the angels. And then in John chapter 20, verse 14, we read, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And then it's then in her word, in the words of Jesus, when he calls out her name, that she declares him to be the teacher, her hope, her rescuer. And so the question that Jesus asks us at the beginning of this gospel, who are you seeking? What are you looking for? Is the question which will, which will ring out again At those pivotal moments when Jesus willingly gives himself over to death on the cross. When Jesus returns from death, having conquered death, to announce to Mary, his follower, his disciple, who are you looking for? You're looking for me. See, if you have found hope, then with whom will you share it? If you're still looking for an answer to that question, then find it here in the announcement of the, the first disciples that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the King of Israel. And then once you find that hope, share it. It should be the first thing that you do. When you see the greatness of Jesus, you just you stumble out, like it, it just spills out of you in your conversations. can you believe this have you heard what happened that God himself came down to rescue us from our sins see the gospel spills out of us as soon as we begin to understand it years ago in my childhood church a man visited a Sunday morning service he had come trying to find answers after his friend's death they had been members of a motorcycle club and they, they really fit the stereotype of what you would expect bikers to be known for doing. They were men who would curse and drink. They didn't mind if they won or lost, but they just enjoyed the fights on the weekends at the bar. But Lou had changed. He still made time for his friends, but, but he didn't curse anymore. And he never stayed long enough for the fighting to start and he told his companions it was because of Jesus because he had put his trust in Jesus and so now after Lou's death Harry shows up at church Harry's greeted after the service ends and and he has lots of questions they just come come spilling out of him and so so one of the deacons schedules a a time for them to go and visit him on Tuesday night And so my dad, who was one of the pastors and the deacon, make the drive to to Harry's house. And now, Harry doesn't live close by. He had come on the recommendation of Lou. He lived quite a distance. So they make the drive to to Harry's house. They answer his questions. They explain the good news of, of who Jesus is and what he has done. But Harry still has doubts. So they come back the next week, and the next, and the next, And now the night is getting late, and they still have a long drive home. And so finally, my dad says to him, Harry, we've told you everything. We've gone through it again and again. You need to make a decision. Would you like to pray? And Harry says, well, I'm not a cultured man, but I still feel like I need a proper introduction to God. And so Harry asks my dad to start the prayer. So my dad prays, God, this is Harry. Harry, this is God. And Harry has some things he needs to say to you, God. And Harry begins to pray. A prayer more honest and eloquent than, than, than any that most of us have ever heard prayed in churches. Harry confesses his sin. He declares Jesus to be his Savior and King. By now, it's almost 11 o'clock at night. But Harry finishes his prayer. He, he, he knows that you put an amen at the end. And as soon as, he, as soon as he finishes, he says, My father is really sick. I have to tell him about Jesus. I have to call him right now. My, my dad says, Harry, look at the clock. Oh, 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 yeah, you're right. He's sick. He's been asleep for hours. I, I, I shouldn't wake him. But but I've got to tell him first thing tomorrow. Will you come with me to tell him about Jesus? The good news spreads to Harry's father on his deathbed and to members of the extended family because of this man's urgency to share the good news about Jesus. We have found the Messiah We have found him of whom Moses wrote. The message shared becomes a declaration of faith. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the gracious arrival of Jesus as our savior. Lord, we thank you that he was willing to humble himself to come to give his life, that he willingly calls us to follow after him. And so, Lord, where we are resistant, where those who have heard your word and read and preached and yet remain hesitant, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would give the faith to believe, a humility to confess sins and to turn from sin. And Lord, as we understand the joy of this gospel, Lord, make us, make us willing to share it with friends and neighbors, with coworkers and classmates, with, with teammates. Lord, let the gospel be the joy of our lives as we celebrate the work of Jesus, your son, our savior, our Messiah, our king. We pray in his name, amen.